quickly. All right, good morning. Let's turn to Galatians. Grab a print Bible, please. And let's turn to Galatians chapter 5 at verse 13. And I'm going to begin reading at the beginning of 5 for some context. So Galatians 5 at verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. It was not, excuse me, it was for freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. Little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. And now our passage for today. For we were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For These are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And we'll stop there. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your Lord's day. And on it, we get to worship you within the congregation. Father, that we get to worship you and to rest this day, Lord, we pray that you would bless our Sunday school classes this morning, that the children would be fed and learn about you, and that the lessons would sink into their hearts. Pray that as we study your word here in the sanctuary, that you would um, give us understanding and uh, faith to receive what is written as um, your truth. And Father, we pray for our worship, that it would be heartfelt, and we ask that you would bless the congregational meeting after the service, Um, Father, that you would superintend and the decision that is made would glorify you. Lord, we thank you for your mercies, new every morning, and we pray and ask for your guidance today in Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. All right, so Galatians chapter 5, some of the Apostle Paul's most intense words uh, toward the people, toward these um, Christians who are getting um, derailed by the, the Judaizers and their talk of salvation by grace plus works. And so, um, Paul has rightfully gone ballistic and opposed this false gospel, a, uh, not, not even a gospel at all. And so, we're getting toward the end of the book, and he's, he's very much pulling all the stops in this chapter, even saying that he wished that, that uh, those who were afflicting them would cut off the whole thing, would mutilate themselves. Um, and then uh, at verse 13, and so that was the last thing we looked at, was that statement, I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. And then we turn in 13 to the topic of uh, freedom and flesh and spirit and warfare. Okay. And so, verse 13, taking these a verse at a time. When, when teaching justification by faith alone, there are certain accusations that come up against the teaching of justification by faith alone. One of the main accusations that's made against this by those who... who um, believe that works have some, some percentage of value in their salvation. The accusation that comes up um, is that you're giving people license to sin, right? That's the accusation that's often made by those who hold to justification by faith alone, faith apart from works, right? That you're just telling people that they can sin, and as long as they have faith, that their sins are no problem, okay? Well, um, that's not an accusation that the Apostle Paul was ignorant of, right? He was very, very aware that the gospel of free grace, that the gospel would um, have those who opposed it, would have legalists who opposed it saying, well, you're just giving people license to sin. If our works don't factor in, why be obedient, right? If our works don't factor in, then why do good works? If our works factor in, why think about our behavior at all? Well, where does he address that question outside of the gospel of, or outside of the the book, the epistle of Galatians. Any ideas? Recollections? Yes, Romans. He is anticipating this question. Where in Romans? Do you know the address? Not nine. I heard it. Six. You would have eventually gotten there. <laughs> well, Galatians 3 also, Galatians 3, 8, um, here's, here's what those, they were saying in opposition. And why not say 
as we are slanderously reported and as some claim that we say, let us do evil that good may come. Their condemnation is just. And so right there, the Apostle Paul is saying, look, it's, it's a slander of us. You've heard it, that we're telling people that it doesn't matter, that obedience doesn't matter, right? That um, we can do evil, and as, as soon as we do evil, God's grace is more, right? And so to do evil is actually to amplify grace. And that's what people were saying the Apostle Paul was teaching. That is not what the Apostle Paul was teaching, okay? And then Galatians 6 is where he takes on the antinomians, right? Those who, um, those who wanted to live uh, licentiousness, in licentiousness. So Galatians 6.1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Right? There's that accusation. He's putting it into words. Should we continue in sin? Because then God will be more glorious by having more sin to forgive. That's sort of a, when you put it like that, it's sort of a twisted doctrine, right? May it never be, he says. May it never be. That is not what I've taught. That is not what is right. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Oh. Oh, we've died to sin. Interesting. So it's not that we're even in sin and can promote our sin. We've died to sin. And then how can we still live in it? How can we just brazenly go after it? How can we walk after it as if there's no, nothing inhibiting our pursuit of sin? Right? Because that would, be, that would be the licentiousness that they're advocating for. There's nothing hindering us. We can go after it. In fact, we can go after it and God will forgive it and we're all good and God's more glorified. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might, be, might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also shall also live with him. So there, there he's addressing the question. In, in our free grace, this doctrine that we are justified by faith alone, justification, we're declared righteous simply by believing, does not remove motives for obedience, right? And the motives for our be- obedience are, well, God has changed you. The regenerate, the old man is is dead, and the new man is alive. You've been changed for the purpose of obedience. So, there will be times when, uh, because of indwelling sin, you feel like a reprobate. Those old lusts will raise up their ugly head. Those old sins that you thought you had conquered will come back and, and master you. 
right, for a moment, right? They seem to take the upper hand in that. That is the reality, right? There's a war between the flesh and the spirit. There's a war between the indwelling sin that's part of our sin nature and the regenerated, justified new man, right? And there's that war. But there are times when it seems like the flesh gets the upper hand. Your thoughts are out of control. You have thoughts of vengeance and you just can't seem to shake them, right? Your lusts just um, drag you around like they have a hook in your nose, right? From this to that lust, from this to that look. Um, your desire, your discontentment, your desire for possessions, all of that seems to get the upper hand at points. But it is the case that if you are regenerate, those will not win. They won't win. Now, our sanctification takes place over the course of our life, and we're not free from all of our sins until we die. But even if it takes death, you will be free from those lusts and those sins and those temptations. They will be gone, right? Um, it's hard to believe that, but that at regeneration, the reigning power of those sins is ended. doesn't mean that those sins don't have power, but you now have some fight. You have the Spirit. You have the Spirit who's waging war against your lusts. Right? doesn't mean that the, there isn't the opposite direction, the lust waging war against the Spirit. That, is, that happens, and it's intense. But do... Are we going to believe that the Spirit has more power than our flesh? Is the Spirit more powerful than our flesh? Why is the Spirit more powerful than our flesh? The Spirit is God. And God does not lack strength. God is all strength. He is omnipotent, right? All strength. And, and so there are times when temptations come upon us and we fall into sin. God knows about that. God ordained that. And he does it so that you're humbled and you cry out to him when you've sinned against him. And you begin to more humbly depend upon him. See what happens, son, when you're left to yourself? When you're walking in the flesh and not in the spirit, do you see the destruction that comes? God does that so that we might be humbled and turn to him. Um, God uses, God, God is sovereign over sin. And God is, uses the sins of our lives in order to discipline us at times, right? We all know that humbling. Where it gets really scary, and you may prove you're not regenerate, is when you sin and have no remorse at all. 
when your conscience is seared and it's dead, that may mean you're just the old man. You never became the new man. If there's no conflict, if there's no um, remorse, if there's no uh, anguish over your sin, if you can lie and have no compunctions of conscience, then you might consider whether or not you're a child of God. If you can give yourself to pornography and not feel vomitous after it, then you should consider whether or not you're a regenerate child of God. Right? If you can enact vengeance in your your brain against everybody who who kind of looks at you wrong, living in that sort of anger, and you you just feel entitled to it. It's like people treat me wrong. I'm going to hate everybody. Then you may not be a child of God, because there's no fight there, right? I'm, and, and we don't, the, the reform position is not one of at regeneration, you're perfect and you're never going to sin again, right? Not even Wesleyan Methodists believe that, <laughs> but they're close to it, right? Some sort of perfection can be attained in this life. We don't say that. No, not at all. The indwelling sin is going to be, is going to be with us until we are glorified and sin is eradicated We've been set free from its power, but it has not been eradicated. Set free from its power. Now, do we believe this? Do we believe this, right? For you were called to freedom, brethren, he says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That seems like three independent thoughts stuck together in one sentence, doesn't it? For you were called to freedom, all right, we've been given freedom in Christ, we're free in Christ. What's the freedom? Free from the reigning power of sin. We've been freed from that. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to flesh, okay, that's the antinomian idea. You're set free in Christ, your sins are forgiven, you've been regenerated, all of that, so just go live however you want. It, it actually will just make God more gracious. No. Freedom was given to us not so that we could serve the flesh. Freedom was given to us so that we could serve God. Right? You're not given freedom from sin so that you can be like a dog returning to its vomit and going back to that. You've been set free from the reigning power of sin so that you may walk in a manner worthy of Christ, that you may glorify Him. You might pursue holiness and good works. And then he gives an example of one, but through love serve one another. This idea of loving one another. And then he vamps on this for a little bit in 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Okay? Um, in Jude, Renton preached Jude last Sunday. 
And there's that statement that there are some who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Right? That's, that's what Paul, the apostle here, is countering. Turning the grace of God, you know, this wonderful, you're, you're saved by grace and that's a gift of God, into, well, then I can sin and God can just be that much more gracious. Right? There are some who teach this. Evangelical churches teach this. Any church who doesn't practice church discipline is sort of de facto teaching this, right? If, there, if there's no reason, if, if sin only amplifies the grace of God, is there any reason to ever discipline it? No, you don't touch it. You just remind people, you know, every sermon ends with, but it doesn't matter how much you failed free grace of God. That's it. Free grace of God. It's cheap grace. This is what Bonhoeffer opposed 120 years ago. Well, 100 years ago. 90 years ago. It was 1933, so that'd be 90 years ago. When he wrote Discipleship. That idea of that, that the gospel is forgiveness without repentance. No, it's not. Cheap grace, cheap grace, cheap grace. And that has been the main message preached in the pulpits of America for so long. Cheap grace. Jesus has fire insurance, you know. The Jesus who, who died for your sins and allows you to live like a hellion. It's godless, and it's not scriptural, and it is is proof of somebody being unregenerate. If they have no desire for holiness, right? Do you desire holiness? What are your predominant desires? What are your lusts? What do you lust for? Do you lust for holiness? Or do you lust for the things of the world? Do you lust for the things you did when you were a 14-year-old boy and you're now 68? You know, those desires. Desires change or should, especially if the Holy Spirit is at work in us, the very power of God, right? Um, <clears throat> we are not to turn the grace of God into licentiousness and we're not to get fatigued in the battle and then become cheap gracers, right? Sometimes it's like, man, I've been fighting this lust and fighting this lust and fighting this lust. I need a new theology. I don't need to repent. I've tried that for the past 40 years. I need a new theology so that I don't have to repent and I don't have to be holy and I don't have to go after anything that would cause me any more angst. I'm tired. But that's not the calling of the Christian. The calling of the Christian is to wage warfare. It's a short war, actually. In the grand scheme of eternity, the time that God has called you to war against your flesh is almost nothing. 
So don't lose heart. It's a short battle. It's an intense battle. But it's short. It's extremely short. Freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. That's what the gospel says. You've been freed from sin. You haven't been freed to sin. It is not, we do not have the right to do whatever we please, but the ability to do what we ought. Freedom we have in Christ is being released from the futile ways to make ourselves right with God, which was works righteousness, right? That freedom is, is releasing us from that futile way of works righteousness. And the libertine doctrine of licentiousness. And the apostle gives reasons in this passage why grace does not give us the right to indulge our flesh. Because license is contrary to love, license is contrary to law, and license is contrary to the Spirit. Those three things, right? 13b, but through love serve one another. You have been set free from sin in order to serve others. What do those in bondage to their sins do? Who said that? Somebody said, serve their sins. Yeah, they serve their sins. They serve themselves. Right? Do you know somebody who's trapped in serious sin? Everything in their life is driven toward that idol. It's, it's monomaniacal how fixed they are in getting that fix. Right? And clearly, in serving that idol, they're expressing the bondage that they have. But, but um, the regenerate Christian has been freed from those idols so that they can actually do service toward others, can actually love others, can actually be concerned about somebody else's well-being, can actually inquire genuinely about how somebody is doing and, like, go after them and and, you know, do, do things that don't benefit you at all. Like come to a church work day and clean pews. Why'd you do that? Because you love the church. You love the people who are looking at the pews this morning and saying, I'm glad there's no more of that filthy ghosting all over it. That's loving your neighbor. That's it. I mean, Lord has freed us up to do those sorts of works. It's wonderful. If you've been set free from your sin, you've been set free in order to serve others. But those who are in bondage to their sins, they serve themselves and their idols. You've been set free in order to love others. Selfishness is what characterizes the old man. Love to others is what characterizes the new man. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the repro reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And then back in Galatians verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love. 
Think about that. Love is the summary of the law. How many songs have been written about love? Love, love, love. All you need is love. Right? Love is the summary of the law, and the law is the summary of God's character. And so God is love. The law, now this is interesting. He's been all about like the law, get the law out of the way, you know, let's throw the law out. The law has no place here. All through the book, he's been all about that. When it comes to justification, you may not be justified by law, but when it comes to love, where does he go? The law. You want to know how to love? Learn the Ten Commandments. That's the summary of love. Honor your father and your mother. Right? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. This is love. This is love. And of course, whenever you talk about the Ten Commandments, you have to say it's not just the prohibitions, it's also the positive commands that surround the prohibitions. So um, saying do not, do not steal is actually commending generosity. Right? The law teaches us how to love, not how to be justified. That's the place of the law. Justification is solely by faith. Some might wish love were also simply a matter of faith, not action, not law. How would love be a matter of faith? You would just go around telling everybody, well, trust me, I love you. Don't we do that? Don't we do that? We've been spitting venom at them the whole week, and we say, no, I love you. You're expecting that person to accept your love on faith. But faith is works. I mean, faith is works. Love is works. Love is action. Love is the keeping of the commandments. Love is fulfilling the law. Fulfilling the law of Christ. So, so we got to get these things straight. So now we have a really nice place for the law. It's not what justifies us, but it certainly is what tells us how to love our neighbor and to love God. The two tables of the law, right? The first four commandments, love toward God. The last six, love toward our fellow men. Love of ourselves is proved by the constant attention we give to serving ourselves. How do we serve ourselves? We eat because we want to stay alive. We do it three, four Six, eight times a day, right? We do it a lot. We comfort ourselves. We, uh, we, we um, hydrate ourselves, right? We, we, um, we have hobbies so that we can enjoy our time, all meant to serve ourselves, right? Hobbies are self-service, unless you're producing something, right? But a lot of hobbies are just, Self-service. It's proof that, that we love ourselves. 
But Christians are freed up from those demands so as to serve and love others. We can serve and love others. God wants us to. Do some of you find it hard to love other people? Or you have your select few that are lovable and so you love them, but the unlovable deserve what they get. Not my love. And that is so terrible. We all think like that. We all do. It's so sad. You know, we judge, we prejudge people based upon their appearance and just determine that they are not worthy recipients of my love. It's really, really terrible sin. You know, instead of us saying, okay, that, that is a soul made in the image of God. Yes, homeless. Yes, addicted to drugs. But that's someone made in the image of God, therefore ought to receive the, the fruit of my freedom in Christ to love others. If we don't do this in the midst of the church, right, if we don't love one another, guess what? We've all seen it. Churches just blow apart. Bite and devour one another. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by each other. And so if we're not committed to this love and serving others, then, then it's, it's um, we will, it's not just neutral ground we go to, it's actually to biting and devouring begin to be each other's opponents and we compete with one another and then eventually the whole thing's consumed and I think here when he says take care that you are not consumed by one another I think God looks on a church that's filled with biting and devouring and he says okay that's not going to be a church anymore he just takes his spirit from it and the spirit's removed and they just dis just raise it to the ground no one wants to be with one another. No one wants to help one another. Everybody's out for their own piece of the pie. You know, the building's being sold and where's the money going to go? Sort of just terrible, terrible stuff, right? And, and I think, um, you know, I was praying about it and I was, I was praying for our church and I was praying that, that we would be sanctified so that anybody who came into the church would, would receive that love, right? That we would be healthy so that those who came in who, were, who needed health would immediately be able to begin uh, nourishing on that. Pride left unchecked will always lead to this kind of destruction when we're proud and not, not loving and humble with one another. Um, if we're not committed to this as a church or mature in the faith so as to exercise this kind of faith, we will be doomed. Um, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, if you have the Spirit in you, that is possible. It really is. If you have the Spirit in you, you can be like Christ in that sacrificial love. Right? That not serving the self, but serving others. Being outgoing in your love for others. That is, um, not only is it possible, but it's inevitable if you have the Spirit. It must happen. It will happen. We must be moved by the Spirit, not by the self. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The Spirit transforms the heart of the believer, renewing its desires, renewing its goals, renewing what it hopes for, renewing its thoughts, renewing everything about it, and then giving it power for holy living. It seems strange today how we don't talk about holiness enough. It feels like 20 years ago in the church we talked about that a lot. It seems like we don't anymore. And I don't know why. I, you know, and I'm, the only sermons I listen to are sermons by evangel presbytery pastors. And I hear mine as I preach them. And we don't talk about holiness. The enjoyment of holiness. The fact that God is holy and it should be our desire as his children to be just like dad. Holiness. That there is reward simply in walking in holiness. That there is enjoyment that goes vastly beyond the enjoyment that the world offers us with stupid lusts and trinkets, right? There, that, and, and, you know, Edwards and the early American Puritans talked about holiness all the time. It's, that's all they ever talked about, to a fault, right? But, but the religious affections, Jonathan Edwards says, you want to know you're a Christian? There's... The, the highest proof that you're a Christian is you desire to be holy. That's it. So now think about it. Think about that desire for holiness and everything that's waging war against it in your life. What are the things? It'd be different for each one of us. It'd be similar in some respects, a lot of overlap. But what are those things that that you're like, oh, I don't know, I really, I really want that. And there's this fight. But examine yourself on that. What things would you give up so that you could just exploit your freedom? What things would you retain so that you can exploit your freedom? And then verse 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So here's the desires of the spirit. Here's the desires of the flesh. And they are the, the magnets and opposite poles trying to be pushed together. They, they, they force one another out. That's how they work, right? And so they're in opposition to one another incompatible 
right? They repel one another. And so, yes, the flesh, our flesh, our sinful nature, our sinful desires, that indwelling sin, sets its lusts against the Spirit. It says, no, I want this. The Spirit wants this, but let's go with this. It sets its lusts against the Spirit, but then the Spirit comes in and says, not so fast. The Spirit wants this. And I'm more powerful than your flesh. The Spirit wants this. And they're in opposition to one another. And then notice that last phrase, so that you may not do the things that you please. If the Spirit is in you, your inclination will be to fight against your sins. Not indulge them or seek for opportunities to indulge them. But, if you want to serve the flesh and submit to the flesh, you will find yourself that before too long, you're once again a slave to the flesh. You're just a slave to the flesh. Second Peter 2.19, For by what a man is overcome, by that he is enslaved. And so, one final thing here. Do not envy the wicked. They are enslaved to their lusts. Right? Don't envy the wicked. Don't envy the prosperous. Don't envy the rich. Don't envy those who indulge the flesh. Don't envy the vain. Don't envy the the popular. They're enslaved to their sin. And that is a road that leads to Perdition, which is a word we never use anymore either. Hell. In fact, they're enslaved. They, they must obey their lust. They must obey, you know, their demand that they be popular. They got to obey that. The child of God doesn't. The child of God can be popular or unpopular and be like, I want to be holy. I don't care about that. Um, But some people would like, give me the slavery if it makes me have influence. I'll take the slavery. And you won't say that on the day of judgment. You will see what kind of trade you made and how horrible the rest of eternity is going to be for you. You do not want to be enslaved to your sins. Um, You do not want to have to obey their lusts. You do not... You, you want freedom. You want salvation. You want justification. Trust me. There's a, there's a coming judgment day. And one other thing I want to say is the, there's a slippery slope of sin as well. The lust of the mind. Think of that. The lust of the body physio- physiologically. Going, thinking about young men right now. And by young men, I mean younger than 80. Um, <laughs> there's the lust we have in our mind. Sexual lust, right? And then it becomes the lust for images and porn. And then it becomes different kinds of porn. And then it becomes 
visiting prostitutes. And then you just become desirous of utter perversity and criminal activity. It's utter bondage. It's destruction to be enslaved to your lust. You better get free from your lust while you can because there's a slippery slope to them that will drag you down all the way to destruction, right? And so that is what it means to live a life where the Spirit is opposing your lusts. Look for that. Delight in that. Encourage your brothers as you see yourself say no to sin one time this week. You know? And tell a brother about it. You know, I was, I was struggling with this and I said no and I had to distract myself for the next six hours. You know, I had to get busy you know, fixing the bathtub or something, you know, just get my mind on something else. And, and the Lord gave me victory over that sin. That's wonderful. That's life where you know you're in a battle and you're actually battling and the Spirit is, is with you battling. Um, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. In other words, verse 14 is not legalism, the earlier verses. He's not reverting to legalism here. He's, he's condemned it time and time again. Walking by the Spirit leads to conformity to the law and is not an attempt to win justification by law-keeping. Um, that's what we were talking about earlier. Law in regard to justification, law in regard to love. So, um, you're free. If you are in Christ, you're free. You don't have to obey those lusts that wage war against you. Free. Okay? You will fall. You will fail. The battle won't end until you die. But right now, you're free. So, so fight on. Right? Fight. Fight on. And love God's holiness desire to be as he is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Spirit. Thank you that he lusts against the flesh. And Lord, I pray that we would not grieve the Spirit. I pray that we would um, walk in the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.